Like take initiative to learn and know what it is that you want to get out of that particular experience. But raise your hand. Don't be shy. When you see an opportunity, go for it. That served me well in my career and I know that serves other people well today. Leaders don't want people to wait and hesitate. They want you to self-identify that this is an area where you can have an impact or where you can grow or where you want to try something new. And so take initiative and raise your hand and say, I want to do that. I want to try that. Christine McHugh is an executive coach, consultant, and former vice president of customer service and operation services for Starbucks. Christine first started working as a barista at a very young age, slinging espresso at the local coffee chain, a modest 37-store operation that we now know as the household Starbucks. Little did she know at that time that it would mark the beginning of her 27-year impressive career at that company. Her book, From Barista to the Boardroom, Lessons About Life and Leadership from a Career in Coffee, was published and released in June 2021, and it's part autobiography and part business memoir on her personal account of her non-traditional path up the corporate ladder and moments of triumph with a dose of vulnerability and an extra shot of motivation. Christine left Starbucks in 2017, but certainly did not rest on her laurels. You are in for a treat with this one, trust us. Just sit back, grab a cuppa, preferably Starbucks, and enjoy. Hi, this is Janice. And I'm Sarah N. And we're your hosts for Explore This, a podcast for the modern-day working professional. Each week, we explore actionable insights on how you can thrive personally and professionally. Welcome, Christine, to the Explore This podcast. And thank you so much for dialing in from Seattle to have this chat with us today. Good morning, Sarah and Janice. I'm thrilled to be here and look forward to the conversation with you both. Awesome. And firstly, we'd like to start by congratulating you because we know that June 2022 is the one-year anniversary of the publishing of your book, From Barista to Boardroom, Lessons About Life and Leadership from a Career in Coffee. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) I can't believe it's been a year already. (laughs) Well, I'm sure it must have been an incredible milestone for yourself. And let's kick off this conversation where you can share what was the inspiration behind writing this book? You know, I, I never had a vision that I would write a book and I certainly never considered myself a writer. I grew up in my career in corporate America, so I was super accustomed to, you know, writing emails and presentations and things like that. But it was probably about seven-ish years ago, I was on a run with a friend and we were kind of getting to know each other. And he is an engineering leader at Amazon and was hearing my story. I think by then I was a vice president at Starbucks. And he said to me after hearing my story, he said, you know, Christine, you should write a book and you should call it From Barista to Boardroom. And I thought that was the silliest idea I'd ever heard. (laughs) Not the title, but the fact that like me write a book that, yeah, I think you have a great story that a lot of women in particular might be inspired by. And particularly women earlier in career as they're growing their careers might take some lessons from. And so I was like, that just sounds such like a far-fetched idea for me because it was so beyond my realm of skill set and vision for myself. But the idea stuck. And every few months on a run, he would needle me about it and ask me questions about it. So I ended up, it was probably a few years later, ended up taking a sabbatical from Starbucks 
And I decided to explore the idea a little bit more of, you know, what would it be like to try and capture my story, even if it's just for myself or to help learn how to write. And so I started just capturing stories and writing outlines and writing on LinkedIn with no particular goal in mind, no particular vision of a book. But I learned through that process that I really enjoyed writing and I enjoyed the feedback I got from people on the things I had written when there was a resonant message for them. So I decided to actually kind of take it as more of a serious endeavor and started just with that, again, not a real vision of how it would come out just starting spending more time capturing stories that I felt had a big impact on my career. So yeah, that's how it started. It's my, you know, running friend, Subhu Sundaras, and he's actually from India. And he just suggested that I should give it a go. And it seemed like a pretty aggressive and challenging development project. And it was. So that's kind of a long story. There's a lot of little, obviously, learnings along the way, but that's really how it started. And it still shocks me that it ended up in this like published form. Now my bookcase behind me and you can find it on Amazon because I kind of rub my eyes that it actually happened. <laughs> so that's hopefully that answered your question, but that's really how it started and kind of ended up, you know, taking the shape that it did. Well, Christine, we hope that you've had the chance to thank that friend of yours who gently nudged you and gave you that idea many years back. And now look at where we are, because, you know, that was indeed how Janice and myself found you on LinkedIn, reached out to you after hearing your story. And rightfully, as your friend pointed out, we both ourselves are pretty much early in career, having done our initial studies in law and then later on doing a career pivot through the MBA and then Janice in the HR line and myself in tech. So, you know, your story truly resonates in many different ways through all the career learnings that you have offered through the book. And so without giving any spoilers, what are three key themes that you can share with our listeners that people can expect when they purchase your book? There's so many stories that are both personal and professional because I really believe that, you know, our lives are intertwined. They're not distinct from one another. And I do think when you are in a corporate or business environment, sometimes trying to figure out how to show up, you know, bring your life into it. And we certainly sometimes try it and we bring our work life into our home life. But I think in terms of themes that people play back to me, things that they took away from reading the book, one is really living your values and making decisions based on your values. That comes up a lot. Choosing your own path and not getting caught up in the shoulds of life. I hear that from people of, like they, you know, they, they want to take risks or take a step forward, but they're not sure if they can and what other people will think. So I hear that as a theme. And then the third theme would be, how do you continue to like move forward even when the times get tough and what do you lean on and where do you go and who do you go to? So I'd say those are three, three themes that come to mind without having any spoilers. <laughs> Thanks for sharing these with us, Christine. And indeed, I think these are themes that stood out and gave us a lot of food for thought, especially on the note of choosing your own path. And I think it's definitely reflected in your life path. You've been through quite a lot, you know, and we're going to deep dive as we go along this conversation. On that note of persevering through life on a specific key theme that you highlighted, we want to go back in memory lane a little bit with you because we believe that you actually got your own crash course in customer service from a very, very young age. What 
was your experience like honing that customer service muscle before you entered the world of Starbucks? Yeah, so I entered the world of Starbucks when I was 19. So I didn't have a ton of life experience before that. However, you know, I grew up in a very civil servant, civil servant minded house and home and family where there was this just propensity to provide service to others, whether it was in the community, whether it was working in my grandparents' gift shop when I was 10, you know, serving retail customers. I worked in a hair salon as a receptionist when I was 16 or 17. I worked in a restaurant when I was 15. So I think all of those, while they weren't deep experiences, really kind of helped me realize how important it is for customers to leave an interaction feeling better than when they came in or when they had that experience. So it's about impact. When I worked at my grandparents' gift shop when I was in, like I was like fourth or fifth grade, which is like 10, 11, 12. I just remember how much pride I would take in gift wrapping their items. Like it wasn't me just ringing up their purchase. Like that's basic service. It was like the pride I took in gift wrapping their items, knowing that they were going to be taking that to somebody else and having that person be filled with joy. That is what customer service means to me. It means a little going above and beyond and doing things that people don't expect and having them, yeah, leave better or feeling better about their experience and perhaps when they came in, no matter what it was. So I think all of those smaller things, those you know, early jobs or being in community activism with my family and trying to make the world a better place and really lent to kind of who I am as a person certainly helped create and shaped my character, but led me to be in service at Starbucks. And then ultimately at one point, I was the VP of customer service at Starbucks. So it's kind of like that was never again the vision, but it makes sense now that you look back at it. So yeah, very young age. Well, Christine, you certainly started young, exercising those customer centricity and customer service muscles. But, you know, back in 2019, I actually had the chance to visit the original Starbucks store in the historic Pike Place Market in Seattle. Awesome. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And, you know, we've heard this quote before by Howard Schultz, the CEO of Starbucks Corporation, who once said that at Starbucks, I've always said that we're not in the coffee business serving people, but instead we're in the people business servicing coffee. And so we'll love to hear from you just a little bit, Christine, about how do you think Starbucks embody this value and what was your experience as a barista there like? Because you started out there pretty young. You know, I... It was all about knowing your customers, right? And so that's experience. Like it's knowing your customers. It, it, yes, it's of course knowing their your regular customers, their coffee order, but it's also knowing the small things about them. You know, whether it was their family, where they worked, maybe what their hobbies were, and really taking an interest in that. You know, I write in my book some of the early customers that I still remember vividly. This was 30 years ago. I still remember them. I still remember their names. I still remember wow. their orders. And that's what it means to be in the people business serving coffee, right? Is really creating that connection for them and becoming part of their day in a way that's back to where we're just talking about leaving them better than when they came in. And so I think it's a really around knowing your customers. And even when I became um, the VP of customer service at Starbucks, 
you know, one of the things that I did is I would definitely go into the stores and I would listen to customer interactions with the baristas and I would talk to customers. But I would also listen to customer calls to the call center on my way to work every morning, just anonymously. And all it is, you know, on my 20 minute drive, just listening to why people are calling, what they were saying and really caring about their experience. Like, why are they calling? Because people don't call your customer service center to tell you they're having a wonderful day. People call a customer service center because they have a problem, right? Being in that people business is like really caring about what that experience is that they're having and how can you make it better and brighter for them. Most of the Starbucks baristas to this day, that's what motivates them. It's not so much the product and the craft of coffee, although a lot of people enjoy that, but it's usually they like working there because they get a chance to get to know their customers and their community. So I, as a part, I really, really enjoy and still do just when I'm even providing service to my customers in my consulting business or observing a customer interaction with a staff member somewhere else and just seeing what it comes. And I think that can really be differentiated in an organization. If you hire people and make that a priority, it can actually make you stand out from other companies. Yeah, I think what you said about leaving people better than they, when they come in, that's something that can be applicable across different industries, not just in the coffee business. But of course, having that as the nice start to your morning, walking in, getting your coffee and ha having people know your name and remembering your favorite order. I think that is definitely one of the special touches that make a lot of people consistently go back to Starbucks. One of the things that Starbucks has, I don't know if it's still happening this way, but it did when I left. One of the measures that they used to help qualify the customer experience is, did the barista or the employee get to know me? That's a question on the, the board. And that question isn't just because Starbucks thinks it's important. Customers have actually told us that that's what's important. So if they were actually able to do analytics, that if a customer felt like the employee got to know them, they were likely to come back, right? It's from a business. But that is what customers have said is important. They want to be known. Like you just said, it's nice when they know you and you come in and they remember your order or haven't been in a while. And they're like, hi, I haven't seen you in a while, Janice. Like, where have you been? What have you been up to? Right. So yeah, it's super important from a connection. Exactly. It's like a, it's like a hug to the soul. So we want to touch just a little bit, Christine, and kind of talk to you about your career trajectory. So you joined Starbucks in 1989. So we're not, we're not trying to give away your age too much, but you joined it in uh, okay. <laughs> at 26 years old as a barista. And since then, you have also held a variety of roles after your stint as a barista. It was a career spanning 27 years, including operations, licensed business development, food service sales, office coffee operations, human resources, and learning and development as well. I'm hoping I, don't, I didn't miss out anything. But we'd like to hear from you, what has been the North Star and guiding principles in terms of your career progression as you move from one role to another within the same organization? Yeah, you know, I probably didn't realize it when I was in it, but now that I'm not, I can see what that North Star is. And it's along the lines of what we've been talking about, which is being of service and making people's jobs better, helping customers have better experiences. So. Anytime I moved to a role, the outcome or maybe the impetus for the role and then the outcome was to actually create a better experience for somebody. So thinking about it when I was in sales, which I 
never envisioned myself as a salesperson. I'm not a, I'm not like super extroverted and like a schmoozer. That's just not me, but I do care about people. And so when I moved into sales, it was how do I actually have our, my customers feel like they're getting the best service possible? And then I'm really invested in helping their business, right? That's that caring piece of being of service. When I was in learning and development, which is a completely different function, I was like, how do I help provide the tools and the knowledge and develop the skills for employees or managers or leaders to be able to do their jobs better so that they can grow in the organization? So that's like in service of. And then certainly in operations, with the last seven-ish years in my career at Starbucks, it was all around how do I make the jobs easier for the store partners, that's what Starbucks calls them, the baristas to do their jobs. And then how do I help bring joy to the experience and connection between the customer and the barista? So all in all, like while well, a lot of distinct functional roles I've had, but that looking back, that North Star is being of service to help people have a better experience and or to realize their, you know, potential and feel like that they're growing. So I'm glad you asked that question because again, I, without kind of stepping back and looking at it, I wouldn't say that was a conscious decision always in the moment, but that was what really was, became the outcome of that and why I, you know, took an opportunity in that particular area. I think the other thing I'll just mention briefly is you know, you mentioned a lot of different roles and functions. I've had one of the things that I was a real big believer in earlier in my career, especially actually my whole career, but definitely earlier, I was doing a lot of lateral moves because I really was looking to gain breadth of experience so that I could then therefore have a potential broader role or a bigger scope at some point, but having had more experiences under my belt versus just a lateral move. So it might look strange on paper that I started in operations. I went into training and development in HR. Then I went into sales. And then from sales, I went back into training. And from training, I went back into, I went into operations. But all of those things, I think, contributed to me being a stronger leader and service provider because I had a bunch of lateral moves and got to put myself in the shoes of a lot of different roles. I just wanted to mention that because as you were sharing different functions I worked in, I could picture myself going, you know, sideways, uh, maybe down once. So that all to, you know, expand my career and my knowledge and, and skills and impact ultimately. Well, Christine, as they say, a career is never just a ladder. It's always a jungle gym. So it was certainly yep. <laughs> obvious in your career choices and moves as well. And we'll speak about that in a question later on. But, you know, we're sure that you've had many incredible stories about, you know, your entire 27 illustrious years in Starbucks. And not to make you cherry pick on any, but if you could... Please share with our audience about a defining or memorable crisis or a failure or even a turnaround that you've led during your tenure in Starbucks that you're proud of. Yeah, there's one that's actually in my book, but I think it's a story that st will still stand out. So I want to share it because of it. It is when Herb Schultz came back to Starbucks as CEO in 2008. And the company's stock price was at the lowest it had ever been. I believe it was around $8 a share. And there had been exponential growth in the company, but there was lost sight and focus on the culture and values and the things that make Starbucks special and distinct. So Howard came back as CEO. And one of the very first things 
he focused on was training. And at that time, employee training. And at that time, I was the director of training for the U.S. operations. So I was in the hot seat. <laughs> and he would be seen walking around the building with training manuals in his hand, wanting to know how the quality standards that were in the trainings were changed, why they were changed. He wanted to know how baristas were being trained. He was getting a lot of emails from baristas and managers regarding training and what had happened to training and how it felt they felt like deteriorated. And it was while I was newer in role, it was now my responsibility. So even if I hadn't created and contributed to what got this to this place, but I was now responsible and it didn't matter that, that my predecessor was no longer here. It was my job now. And there was this sense of like, we have to save the company, right? If not, there could be no Starbucks. I mean, that it was that much of a crisis from a business situation and it was all hands on deck. And so... I had gotten my team together and we were doing a lot of brainstorming and ideation. I'm like, how do we kind of get back to the company's core values as it relates to training? What do we need? What do we recommend? How do we reinstill quality? How do we re-engage the customer employee connection? I mean, it wasn't even about our jobs being on the line. It was like the company may not be here. And so... My team came up with this recommendation to do a retraining of all 100,000 baristas on coffee quality and customer experience. We presented that to Howard with the idea that we should close all of the stores and do the training all at one time. I mean, that's how critical it was. This wasn't like this can take a year. This was like going to be done now. And he bought off on the idea. And so we had six weeks to create the training and figure out how to roll it out and close all the stores. And I learned a ton about courageous leadership, taking risks, making big decisions, and really having a great team and getting out of their way and letting them do their best work. And that was the biggest lesson for me. But that was definitely a defining a memorable, you know, crisis or turnaround situation because we hadn't done that. Who knows where the company would be today? And it grew me as a leader, as a much more confident leader too. So anyway, there's a chapter in my book where I go into that, that initiative, super proud of it, but it was stressful. I mean, it was a lot of late nights, not a lot of sleep, a lot of working on the weekends because it wasn't just about getting the work done. It was a real test for me on how I showed up a leader during this time with unwavering confidence. There are others, but that's the one that's definitely the standout for me. For sure. I think this was something that I also read about on some blogs as well. I think you've written about it before. And even just hearing about how, you know, 100,000 Starbucks having to close in a day and get the training done, it sounds like ops management, leadership management, crisis <laughs> management, all in one. We knew what happened and there was a success story at the end of it. But what was the internal monologue all that you had to kind of tell yourself in order to prepare yourself for that moment? That's a great question. I think put myself back in that moment for a minute. It was just reminding myself that we can do this, that have confidence that this is the right thing to trust my gut, to be bold and to, that I'm giving it my best. So it was a lot of affirmation for myself that this is this is what we need to do and why we need to do it and, and really belief that this is the right thing. So 
definitely a lot of that internal monologue. And just to remember that I had really awesome people on my team and to lean on them and to lean into them. And so that was a reminder too. So I, when we started getting into the work, I created a room for my team. We called it the peace room. You know, sometimes companies call it the war room. We had the peace room because we wanted it to be peaceful. And I created a bill of rights for them, a little document that I put on the wall for them. And I asked everybody else to leave them alone, right? Like I exempted them from all the meetings. They didn't have to like participate in stuff. And then I became the person that was like managing all the executives. I have the best people doing their best work and I've done the best I can. And just to remember, have confidence that I am, you know, again, making the best decisions that I can with what I have right now. So that was the monologue. I didn't have a fear of failure in this because I think I recognize myself like I'm doing the best I can. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It does. It doesn't mean that I personally have failed because I am doing the best that I can with what I have. So it wasn't that. I think the other monologue is like to a sense of urgency. Like I had to constantly like ratchet up. I'm an analytical person and I'm a processor. So I had to kind of remind myself to just do enough, but nothing more and just move, like move on. But I didn't feel at risk with my career. I didn't, that was not an inner monologue for me because I, again, I knew I was doing the best that I can with what I had. So I guess last thing I'll add is I did not want to let Howard down. I didn't want to let the store partners down. I didn't want to let my team down. So there was definitely pressure there to, to bring my best and to help the team bring their best because I didn't want to let people down. So kudos to you. In times of need, you stepped up. You gave your team the comfort that they needed to get the stuff that they needed to get done. I really love that idea about the peace room and bill of rights, by the way, totally stealing <laughs> that for future purposes if needed. <laughs> But anyway, we're going to switch gears a little bit now to pick your brains a bit more about servant leadership and customer service, which are topics and concepts that are quite deeply intertwined and are topics that you also write and speak about quite frequently. So we'd love to hear from you. What have you learned and embraced about these two concepts of servant leadership and customer service? And how has that manifested in your personal life and your professional life? Yeah, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier around how I honed my customer service experience in my early years, you know, it really is through this lens of caring for others and helping people and communities have better lives, right? So they're naturally kind of integrated to me. You know, customer service does tend to focus on the external customer servant leadership tends to focus on the people you work with, right? But the underpinning that's common to both of them is a service to others so that you are helping the world and individuals feel more fulfilled and have a better place. And so, and that's through genuine caring. And I actually have friends sometimes tell me that I am maybe overly generous and <laughs> that I, you know, extend myself and offer help a lot. And that's definitely in my nature, whether it's in the personal or professional level. So I think about it, you know, on the, the personal level, you know, I, I like to be of service. I help my friends, whether it's through work or personal thing and be an advisor and a mentor and a coach and a guide. And I also do nonprofit work. I mean, it's, I love that feeling of being able to positively impact communities on a personal level because I really care. I care about the livelihood of those people around me and in my community. And from a professional level, you know, I, even in my current role as a consultant or an executive coach, 
you know, it's around how do I help the people that I work with have better, higher performing organizations? How do I help them have more meaningful careers and jobs where they feel fulfilled? That's where it comes out. The two are inextricably linked customer service and servant leadership. And I think it's just really deeply embedded in my DNA. And that's what motivates me. And if I'm feeling unfulfilled or restless in my life or work, I can pinpoint it that there's usually a gap in there that I need to fire up and activate a little more of that service orientation in some way in my life. So yeah, just kind of who I am. I think I was born with it and I think it was really influenced by my early early childhood and early working life. Christine, I hope that you take pride in that because it's certainly not something that is second nature to a lot of people. Some people, whenever they're in the service industry, it's just something that they have to exercise by virtue of the role that they're in, but it's not as second nature as it is with you. And like you said, it's something that's so deeply embedded within your DNA. I hope you recognize that that it's something you should be proud of. Thank you. Well, everybody has some guiding value or purpose, right? And some people know it more clearly and others are still discovering it. But it's really become clear to me that that is my guiding purpose and values. Something that I guess not many of our listeners would know of is that you dropped out of school at a very early age in your early 20s. But then at age 40, you decided to go back to school where you pursued a BA in liberal arts with a concentration in leadership and organizational studies. So share with us a little bit about what prompted that move and what was it like navigating both studying, working full-time, as I understand it, leading a team and having a family? Yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> Sounds like I, a lot. <laughs> yeah, you know, I dropped out of school after a couple of years in my early 20s because I just wasn't enjoying it. I didn't feel fulfilled. I was enjoying work so much more. And that taught me that I'm a much more hands-on experiential learner. I just was not motivated by school and I was really motivated at work. So I dropped out, but I always felt like I had this unfinished business. Like at some point, like I had this unfinished business and nobody ever told me you need to go back to school. If you want to advance your career, this is holding you back. That was never came up in the narrative. And obviously it didn't impact because by the time I went back to school, I was a director, but I kept thinking about it and thinking about it. And, you know, I just like, at one point I was like, it, it was something I felt like I needed to accomplish, to bring closure to, to so that I could do it. And I was scared to death because at that time I was 40. I didn't know if I knew how to study. I didn't know if I was going to be able to hack being able to go to school and work full time. I wasn't sure if I would thrive in an academic environment because I didn't, you know, 20 years earlier. So I was really, really scared. I was scared of failure. But after talking to my husband, and I'm so grateful for him because we made a decision when I decided to go back to school that he would be primary caregiver for our son. I think my son was probably, he was in elementary school. So I don't know, seven, eight, I'm not sure exactly how old he was. But my husband decided to put work on hold so that I could go to school and still work full time. And it was a big shift for our family because I was at school at nights and sometimes on the weekends. So I wasn't home much at all. The school that I chose, it was a liberal arts school that had a bachelor's completion program. There's people that were younger than me and people that were older than me, but there are people who had already had some sort of work experience. 
And all of a sudden my network grew and my community grew. And I was surrounded with people that were really diverse from my work life because you had people who were in social services and healthcare and independent business owners and people in the arts, you know, very different from being in corporate America. And it was just such a rich experience for me. So I just had to be really routinized about how I spent my time. You know, I had to stop my social life as much, got rid of my book club, just kind of really structured my days and time in a way that felt like I was able to give in the big rocks of my life. And I really defined my big rocks as work, family, and school. And so everything else just kind of fell away. And then I also had to set expectations for myself on what a success looked like. So I went into this with my goal is to just meet expectations. Like I'm not going to be the highest performer at work. I may not be the best student and I'm probably not going to be mom of the year. Right. But if I can just do each of those things at a level that felt adequate and felt good about, then that was success. So I really did like, was very explicit about that and just went in with a lot of flexibility and knowing that I was doing the best that I can. So I am so grateful for the support of my husband. I'm grateful for my work because there was a couple quarters where I had classes that started at three or four in the afternoon, which meant I had to leave early. And I'm obviously super grateful for my kid who, you know, was not complaining that mom wasn't around. I mean, there was a lot of pressure and a lot of mom guilt that I wasn't around as much, but that two years that I was back just flew by and I just couldn't have done it without that support of, of community. One thing I did mention in my, my book was I was a director when I went back to school, but then I got promoted to vice president and I was like, oh no, am I going to have to drop out of school now? Because like, who could be a vice president and go to school full-time and have a young kid at home? And I remember talking with my boss at the time and I said, you know, I'm honored and flattered, but I'm in school and I am like, I am committed. Like once I got in, I'm like, I can't drop out again. I have to finish this. And he looked at me and he said, and that's, you need a great team. I'm actually going to have lunch with him today. I haven't seen him for a couple of years because of COVID. I'm having lunch with that former boss today. And he was right. I just needed to remember to surround myself with really great people. And I think that really helped as well. So there's a lot, but I just really had to kind of manage my own expectations of myself. And then lean on those around me and just also make sure I'm really prioritized and focused. It's totally random. It's not in the book, but I think that was probably my first, I actually broke my ankle and was in a cast. So I like got promoted to vice president. I was in school and then I broke my ankle. I was a mess. Was it from running? (laughs) Like, was it from one of your marathons? It was from skiing. It was from skiing. Yeah. Which my boot wasn't fitting properly. And I'm like, what else can happen? When it breaks, but it. So I remember I, you know, studying, sitting on the sofa, trying to figure out how to get to school because, you know, I was had a cast on my right leg and I couldn't drive. And like, yeah. Talk anyway, about a memorable a year indeed. It was, it was <laughs> crazy. It really does sound like a lot. Even just hearing all the balls you were trying to juggle in the air. I think that's just, I'm more than impressed to say, but more <laughs> than that, I think your takeaway of like, being good enough is sometimes the best thing you can do for yourself and having the right support system around you and people that you can lean on because the truth is that we can't do everything alone you know we're all super women in our own ways but let's face it we all only have 24 hours in a day so you did the best with all the resources you were given and I think that was that's pretty kick-ass if I can say so (laughs) 
Well, you know what though, too? And it's like, yeah, I, we all do the best that we can every day. Right. And I have a lot of privilege that a lot of other people don't like the fact that my husband could, you know, quit his job and take care of our kid in the evenings, take him to and from school. Like not a lot of people have that. So I am super grateful and blessed that I, you know, had the resources to be able to, to do that. Cause I know that's not available to people, but we all do the best that we can and we need to just cut ourselves some slack sometimes as human beings. But I think it's a, to your point, it's, it's harder for women. I think women in general, like feel like you have to be super everything. And that is a pressure that can be tiring. So remembering to let go sometimes and cut ourselves some slack can be helpful. Super important. And I think it's also, yeah, having friends who remind you of these things sometimes. So having a circle of other ladies, other fellow superwomen who are able to give us that reminder when we tend to forget it and overstretch ourselves. So we also want to speak to, you know, some of our audience actually who are made up of mostly young working professionals. And in terms of the audience that, you know, that we have, I think it's, it's a bit of a rarity nowadays to hear of people staying on for like 10 years or even five years is considered like, wow, okay, you must really love your company. So in other words, yeah, loyalty is maybe very rare and, and quite precious in this day and age as compared to as before. So Christine, we would love to pick your minds and to get some wisdom from you in terms of the one actionable advice that you can offer to our listeners that has translated from your lessons learned, your rich experience in these 27 years that they can also apply in their lives where in this current modern times now where people are popping across different careers, moving externally, what is one actionable advice that they can take away and apply in their lives when they think about their own careers? Yeah, and I, I'll share a thought on that. But I think one thing that I like is to try and remind people is like I was at one company for 27 years, but when I started at the company, it had 37 stores. And when I left the company, there was like close to 20,000. So it was a bunch of different companies I worked for because it was the different growth stages and different complexity and all that. Yes, the thing that's common is the culture, the values, the product, that sort of thing. But different stages of the organization meant different experiences. And I know that people today do move around. And I think that's really cool because you can gain new skills and experience and perspective. But regardless of, you know, whether you're in one company for a long time or you're really, you know, wanting to move around, one advice I give people, there's a couple of things, but one is take initiative, like take initiative to learn and know what it is that you want to get out of that particular experience, but raise your hand. Don't be shy. You know, you see an opportunity, go for it. That served me well in my career. And I know that serves other people well today. Leaders don't want people to wait and hesitate. They want you to self-identify that this is an area where you can have an impact or where you can grow or where you want to try something new. And so take initiative and raise your hand, say, I want to do that. I want to try that. I just started with a new coaching client this week and she just did a new job and she starts there in a week and she is nervous that she's going to, you know, be able to make an impact. And I reminded her, like, they hired you for a reason. <laughs> you have skills. They need you. They need your experience. They need the brain, right? So go in. Ask the questions, identify these opportunities. Again, take the initiative. They're expecting it because they chose you as much as you chose them. And so just always reminding ourselves of, you know, taking that initiative and, you know, identifying these opportunities. And sometimes people are going to say, go for it. Sometimes they're going to say, 
no, that might be distracting. We don't need you there. But like, it doesn't mean you can't be interested and continue to kind of ask. So that is no matter where you are in your career, put your hand up, take initiative. If something sounds interesting to you, there's other pieces too, but that's the name, one I come back to the most. Ever so relevant career advice, pristine and definitely applicable all through different stages of career on raising your hand, trying to say yes to figure out things, although you might not know how to and learning how to take risks because that's where the growth and opportunities lie. And Christine, even as we are reaching the end of our very thrilling episode where we got to dive into, you know, your past 27 years and even beyond, you know, you have indeed left Starbucks for a number of years now since 2017. But one thing is for sure, even evident through your LinkedIn sharings and our prior conversation to this podcast, Christine, you have certainly not rested on your laurels. So what else have been happening? <laughs> so what else have been keeping you busy th these days, Christine? Share with us. So I, my business is doing really well. So that's great. And I'm grateful for that. So I have a consulting business and a coaching business that's doing well. I'm on two nonprofit boards, but I'm really enjoying this one. It's bigger, it's more complicated, and it's in the space of mental health, which really personally interests me and kind of that. Oh, and then the other thing besides family that I'm doing these days, I'm training for my most epic endurance bike ride ever. It's in five weeks. It's a ride around Mount Rainier. It's 156 miles in one day. Wow, that's what's going on in me. And then I'm training for the Chicago Marathon at the same time. But one of the things that I'm kind of interested in exploring over the next coming months and years, I don't know exactly what it looks like yet, is where and how can I have an impact on the mental health crisis in the U.S., particularly with youth? So I'm not sure exactly what that will mean for me and what I might be able to do to be of service, but I'm starting to do some research and engagement. I think a year from now, I'll be able to answer that part of your question with a little more clarity outside of kind of what's happening in the near term. But I'm, I'm really passionate about that. And, and there's a lot of work to do in that space. I just don't know what it looks like for me yet. Love it. And I think Knowing you, I'm sure there'll be amazing things that we can expect to hear. And we'll certainly check in with you one year later. But Christine, on the note of exploring, we do have one final cheeky question to ask you, which we do ask some of our guests at the end of each episode, which is, what is the one thing you recently explored that surprised you? Oh, wow. That's what have I explored recently that surprised me. I guess not super recent, but in the last couple of years, I've really been exploring systemic racism. Not to be too heavy, but I've been like really trying to understand that a little bit more. And what surprised me is there's a lot I didn't know or was aware of and what that looks like in our society. So there's some additional learning there for me, but that's one thing that I explored, you know, with a lot of books in the last couple of years podcasts or some of my work. And it surprised me because I was ignorant about it and didn't know how it came to be. And it's kind of a heavy topic to explore. I'm exploring what it means to be an empty nester and have a kid who's not at home and how am I spending my time and where my energy is taking me. So that's another thing that the surprises in that are like, what types of things do I like to be doing or not? Because now I have a little bit more time. So there's still some surprises there and there's some things I still want to explore in that area. But I, I'll just leave it at those two for now. 
Nice. It sounds like you are spending lots of time getting yourself really busy. So love <laughs> for sure. Love. I'm sure we'll hear more and see more from you in that space. But where can our listeners find you if they're interested to hear more about your work and get to know about more about the things that you do? Sure. So my website's christinemcqueconsulting.com and I do a monthly-ish blog. So certainly people can kind of find out there. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and love to create conversation and community on LinkedIn. And you can also find me on Instagram. I have three Instagram accounts. It's really not probably productive, but the one I'm most active on is Christine McHugh Runs. So people are interested in my running and my athletics and my community there. That's the one that I spend the most time on. My website, LinkedIn, and my running Instagram give you the broadest sense of who I am. <laughs> the full picture. We, we love it. Yep. Thank you yeah. so much, Christine. <laughs> I think our audience would definitely know where they can find you now. So as we're wrapping up this episode, you know, you've definitely served up lots of wisdom today for us. And we're just going to leave our audience with a few key takeaways from that, which is no matter what industry you're at, we can always learn to create a better experience for others. And also the lesson of leaving someone feeling better than before they met you, which is something that we can all practice on a day-to-day basis. And last but not least, a really important reminder that we need to just remind ourselves every day to not be shy, take the initiatives to raise our hand and self-identify our areas of impact. So that's it that we have for our audience today. Thank you so much, Christine. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you today. I had so much fun with both of you today. So thank you for having me as a guest and wish you luck. And when I come to Malaysia, I'll make sure I reach out. We can't wait to have you here, Christine. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time again. If you've stuck around to the end of this episode, we want to say thank you for exploring with us. And if you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and most importantly, share this episode with your friends. We'd love to hear from you. So you can also connect with us on Instagram using the Instagram handle Explore This Podcast. A-C-T-S-P-L-O-R-E This Podcast. New episodes for Explore This drops every Monday at 8pm. See you then! Thank you.